thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. So I wrote down on my notes, and I thought it was kind of catchy and kind of cool, but uh, so I'll tell you what I wrote down, and then Terry, you just surprised me this evening. So Terry was out there, and I've known Terry, how many years, Terry? 30 plus years, right? 30 plus years, and and, and Terry asked me if, if I had uh, prime rib prepared for tonight. And he didn't know that I wrote on my little sticky note. I, I have a lot of little sticky notes on my notes. Uh, so some of the things that I say, you don't have on your notes. But here's one of the things that I wrote down. And I just thought of it tonight. So here's what I wrote down. I have chosen tonight for your dining pleasure. I actually wrote that down. I have chosen tonight for your dining pleasure a choice and a meaty cut. You know, this is the Word of God. This is, uh, this is our nourishment. This is what satisfies us. This is what feeds us. This is what gives us our life. So I have chosen tonight for your dining pleasure, a choice cut from the Word of God. And I pray that as we open it tonight, that it will minister to you. And that it will challenge us and inspire us. And remember, it's in the context of spiritual warfare. So keep in mind that, you know, sometimes when somebody teaches on spiritual warfare, the first thing they do is they jump to the book of Ephesians and they start talking about the armor of God. And you talk about the armor of God and you say, now you know everything you need to know about spiritual warfare and go get them. And we've learned over the last seven weeks that there's so much more to that. So much more to that. And I don't want to go back and spend too much time talking about the different kingdoms that we talked about. But again, just really want to encourage you to uh, go back and, and read through the notes. But I want to start in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to camp here most of our time tonight. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Bolden that on your outline because our focus tonight is going to be on the wilderness. And you're going to know why here in just a few minutes. To be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and he became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus told him, No, the Scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So, Jesus is confronted by Satan, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Then the devil took him to a holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up and their hands won't even let your foot hit a stone. Jesus responded, the Scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him. Now, listen to the relentlessness of the devil. This is God himself. This is Jesus. And I want you to just think about the, the relentlessness of the enemy. Have you ever felt like somebody just would not get off your back? They just won't quit talking. They just they zip, 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 zip. And they just, you just wish they had less words. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just less words, please. Uh, just imagine, here's the enemy, he's just bombarding Jesus and he's relentless. He, he just won't let it go, he won't let it go. Here's the next. Next, the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain, certainly trying to entice Jesus. Would you agree? Taking him of all of his special places. Keep that in mind as we go on tonight. Uh, devil has special places that he likes to take people to. Took him to a very high peak, a mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan. I would have loved to have heard that conversation. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scripture says, you must worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. Then the devil went away, and the angels took care of Jesus. A lot of questions I have for that scripture. And I'm going to ask some questions of it. You've heard me say many, many times, Scripture will allow us to wonder without wandering. And I wonder about a lot of things. I wonder why did the angels have to minister to Jesus? 
Did that just do a number on him? I mean, he had fasted for 40 days, so clearly he was hungry, but the angels had to minister. What was the extent of their ministry? Did they have to encourage him? Was he so physically and emotionally worn out that, that they literally had to pick him up and carry him? I don't know. We can speculate all day long, but we know the angels had to minister. Two weeks ago, and this is on your outline, two weeks ago I asked this question. What would be a good tactic of the enemy to defeat us? And, and I just want you to think about that for just a minute because the enemy's strategy, the enemy's objective in the world is corporate, but it's first personal. And, and his objective is, I'm going to take you out. I want to take you out. And so he is, he is bent on taking you out. That is his sole purpose in life is to steal, to kill, and destroy. You can make it global if you want. You can make it over uh, on the other side of an ocean somewhere where people are being murdered. You can put it over there if you want. Or you can put it where we really need to put it, and it's right in the mirror. And say, he's after me, and he's after you. So I asked this question, what would be a good tactic of the enemy to defeat us? And here's, here was the response to that. Take something that God uses to strengthen us and pervert it into that which the enemy uses to trap us. So two weeks ago, we talked about the difference between trials that the enemy uses, to, that the Lord uses to strengthen us, and temptations that the enemy uses to defeat us. But I'm asking the same question for a reason, that the enemy would try to take something that God uses to strengthen us, and then he'd try to pervert it into that which the enemy could use to trap us. And I want to submit to you tonight that that is exactly what God intends with the wilderness. God intends that good things happen in the wilderness. But don't think for a second that the enemy is not there waiting. He was there waiting for Jesus. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. So there was this sovereign plan of God to lead Jesus into the wilderness. Here's the definition. It's on your outline. A wild and an uncultivated region. I might want to go visit there, but I don't want to live there. A desolate or a barren area, an inhospitable region. That's the wilderness. And that's the place that the Holy Spirit of God, who had just descended on Jesus during his baptism, that is the place that the Spirit of God led Jesus. And into that place was the devil. So when we're talking about the wilderness, I want you to keep in mind that there's going to be a great tension. There's going to be tension. When, you're, when we're talking about a wilderness experience, there's going to be tension. Why? Because it is a place that is desolate. It is a place that is uncultivated. It is a place where there's not much. And it is a place where the enemy looks to exploit us. How many of you would say in here that you have had a wilderness experience in your life? Raise your hand. If you've been serving the Lord for more than a year, you have had a wilderness experience. And I would, I would submit to you that you've probably asked at least one of these three questions. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Will I ever make it out? Will I ever make it out? Is God mad at me? I, I, we can't help but when we go through a wilderness experience, because wilderness experiences are not fun, but yet the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So there's this tension that we have to understand that there's this place of God's choosing, which is the wilderness, say God's choosing, Say it like you mean it. There's this place of God's choosing called the wilderness where God is going to lead us for specific reason and specific purpose, but looming out there, loitering out there, if you will, is the enemy who is out there to entice, to wear you out, to discourage you, to defeat you, and ultimately to destroy your life. So I wrote this on my outline, and then we're going to just dive right in. Bible stories, this is not on your outline, Bible stories about people in the wilderness almost always show that they were there for a particular time but for a constructive purpose. Let me say that again. When you study out the, the people of God who experienced wilderness, when you go through your Bible and you try to find a man or a woman that experienced a wilderness in their walk with the Lord, 
It was always for a particular amount of time, but it was always for a constructive purpose. In other words, there was a reason for it. Now, rarely are you going to know when you're in the wilderness why you're there. We would love that, wouldn't we? We would love to know right before we walk in it, there's the door that says wilderness. Okay, God, I want you to put the four reasons on the door before I walk in. So before I walk in, I know what I can expect when I get through the door. Don't you wish it would be something like that, as simple as that? But it's never like that, is it? It's never like that. So, so what ends up happening is we have a wilderness experience for whatever reason, and we stop at the door, or we stop right past the door, and we say, why is this happening to me? Can I just tell you I've done that? Can I just tell you I've done that in the last year? Can I just tell you I've done that in the last three months? Is it okay if I tell you that? Say, it's fine. Thank you. Am I ever going to make it out of here? I've asked that. Am I ever going to make it out of here? God, are you sure? You must just be mad at me. Are you mad at me, God? So I want us to talk tonight a little bit about the wisdom of understanding the wilderness, but also the revelation that it needs, that we need to have when we're in the wilderness, that we don't become the prey of the enemy. Because the enemy, and there is a reason that this is pointed out in Scripture. There is a reason that God in His sovereignty and His wisdom wanted us to know that as soon as Jesus was baptized and ready for public ministry, the enemy was after Him. And yet something about the wisdom of God said Jesus needed the wilderness. I don't know that we'll ever have the answer to that in this lifetime, but there's something to that. So I think in recent history... Um, if you're a TV watcher, in recent history, we have glamorized wilderness. That show Survivor, I don't know what year it's in now. Maybe it's year 20 or 22 or 24. But it's this show where, and, and you know the show, these people go out and they go into an island somewhere and there's two teams and it's broadcast on TV and everybody is watching this and somebody is trying to be the lone survivor so they can win a million dollars. And their hardship, they're eating bugs and ants and turkeys and dogs and pine cones and every other kind of thing that they can find in the tree. And, and they've glamorized this thing that says, you get in this show and you get in these dynamic and dysfunctional relationships and you go through however long it is and then if you do it the right way, you can come out with a million dollars. I don't think for one second God intends the wilderness to be glamorous. You probably do not have one wilderness experience that you would describe as, oh, that was glamorous. You, you probably wouldn't describe it as that. You'd probably describe it as something other than that. So I just want us to go through, and, and I just came up with a few things as I was reading this, uh, just praying through this last night a little bit, but mostly this morning. And, and number one is this, and I'll have you fill it in on your outline. The wilderness is a place of invitation and often of confrontation. It's a place of invitation. So Jesus was invited into the wilderness by God. So, so, so when there's a wilderness experience that comes our way, it comes by invitation. So you don't just stumble into it. You might think you've stumbled into it. You did not stumble into it. Do you believe God is sovereign? Do you believe He's in control? Say yes, yes. That's two yeses. Yes, yes. Say yes, yes. Okay. God is sovereign and God is in control. So the wilderness experiences that we go through are invitations, but in those wilderness experiences are going to be confrontations. And they're going to be confrontations certainly with the flesh, certainly with the things that we've already talked about related to spiritual warfare, but you can make, you, you can be certain that the enemy is going to be in that place. You can be certain of it. He was there with Jesus. You can be certain that he's going to be there. So generally, you could say that a wilderness experience is uncomfortable. Would you agree? Wilderness experiences are uncomfortable because there's a lot that we don't know. But, but I want you to think about it this way for just a minute. If you have received an invitation from the Lord for a wilderness experience, then there's got to be a reason for it. And it's got to be a reason where love trumps everything. Love trumps the challenges. Love trumps the loneliness. Love trumps the confusion. Love trumps all of the things that we can't answer when we go into the wilderness. So 
we know it's not glamorous. But because it's often lonely and because we often look around and we think the others around us are not in the wilderness and they may not be, if we're not careful, we can write the wrong conclusions very quickly. Would you agree with that? You get in the wilderness and again, it's those questions. God, how long am I going to be here? Am I going to make it out? Are you mad at me? What are that? Do I have sin in my life? And pretty soon we can start going down the road pretty quickly the wrong way. So I want us to remember that it really is an invitation. But in that there's going to be confrontation. And, and, and as we dive in tonight, let me just submit to you that it's in that place that you are most vulnerable. It's in the place where we're invited by the Lord into a place of a wilderness where we're going to need supernatural provision from the Lord. It's in that place that we are vulnerable and susceptible. How do we know? Because that's where Satan went after Jesus, in the wilderness. You better believe that he was looking for the most opportune time to go after the Lord. Wouldn't you think that Satan, knowing what he knew about Jesus, I mean, after all, he was in heaven with him for however many years, Knowing what he knew about Jesus, he's thinking to himself, I've got to look for the most opportune time to exploit Jesus. And he found that to be the wilderness. So, so keep in mind that that is going to be the place where the invitation comes from the throne room, but the confrontation from the enemy is going to be there to exploit us. Number two, in the wilderness, do not panic. Because your identity and your relationship are intact. Let me say that again. In the wilderness, do not panic. Your identity and your relationship are intact. Say, prove it to me. I will. Here it is right here. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. What that picture must have been like, we won't know until we get to heaven. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said this. Listen to what the Lord said from heaven. And everybody that was around there heard it. John the Baptist heard it. Anybody that was around there heard these words. This is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased with. So in Matthew chapter 3, the father says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased with. And Maybe hours later, he ushers him into the wilderness. Think about that. How fair is that? How fair is that? Here's God saying, this is my son. My stamp of, of approval is on my son. So the, the wilderness is not about whether or not you have the stamp of God's approval. You do. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High. So don't panic. When, when it's time to go into the wilderness, don't panic. It's not that your identity is in question. Your identity is fixed and sealed in God. It is fixed and sealed. If you belong to the Lord, you belong to the Lord, and it's fixed and it is sealed. And these scriptures teach us that. Jesus is led into the wilderness by the devil to be by the, the Spirit of God to be tempted of the devil, and right before that, this is my son. I can just imagine, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Done that in my son's lives. Pat him on the back. Did it with my youngest just this weekend. Pat him on the back. Say, I'm proud of you, son. Fighting the good fight. You're doing what you know you need to do. And it's not always from the place of our choosing. Isn't that right? It's not always from the place of our choosing, and, and it's because it's the wilderness. But it's in that place. It's in that place that we have to be mindful of spiritual warfare. In the wilderness. Because God has invited us into that place, but the enemy is looking for just, he's looking for a limp. You know, it's funny how those things just come on you sometimes. Have you ever just woke up one day and you just limp? You just woke up and there's a hitch in your get-along or something, and you're just thinking, I was doing that yesterday. I was walking around yesterday. I was thinking, what is going on with my hip? I was limping and thinking, I, did, I didn't think I did anything different than I normally do to it, but it just, it just hit me. There was just, listen, the enemy is watching for that. 
That's what a predator does. The predator is just is surveying the land and watching for the limp, watching for the sickly, watching for the one that just does not have the mobility or the fluidity and, and getting ready to pounce. But here's what I just want to remind us as we're getting into this, that if you're in the wilderness, not to panic. Because it's not about your identity. It's not about whether or not you are loved by God. Matter of fact, God's right there with you in the wilderness. Aren't you glad for that? So, let's dive into this and see what we can learn about the wilderness. I wrote this on my, uh, my outline because the more I read this scripture, the more I, I, I think this is true of this portion of scripture. With few exceptions, the great names of the Bible will, were wilderness people. Think about that for just a minute. With few exceptions, the great names of the Bible people were wilderness people. They had to manage with what they had until they discovered that they were in a place of spiritual resources. Let me say that again. They had to manage with what they had until they discovered that they were in a place of spiritual resource. It was not until then that they would receive more from the Lord. Let me tell you what I mean by that. There is something that happens when we go in the wilderness where the Lord wants to teach us that we don't need more to get through the wilderness. When you're in a wilderness experience, you don't need more of what you don't have. You need to utilize what you do have. In other words, in other words, you have exactly what you need in that wilderness experience to make it through, but God has to convince you of it. See, sometimes we're waiting because we think, well, I can't take that next step or I won't be able to go forward until I'm resourced with more. It's never that way. You can't read about a Bible character where that, in fact, was true. What, in fact, was true that was in the wilderness, when the revelation and the breakthrough came, that you have everything you need, then you're resourced with more. And so sometimes we get that backwards. We get confused. We're thinking, Lord, I'm waiting. I'm in the wilderness and I'm waiting for you to feed me. I need, I need food. And that's why, that's why Satan was tempting Jesus. He knew he'd been fasting for 40 days. Hey, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you some bread. I'll give you a roll. I'll put some butter on it. And, and the principle here is, Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, you have what you need when you get into that place, but you have to discover it. There's something about the wilderness experience that God will not allow us to bypass, and it has to do with learning and understanding that you have all you need. You have to discover it. But it's in that place where the enemy comes. And he tempts you with thinking you need something other than what you already have. That's exactly what Satan did. You need something that you don't have, Jesus. You need some bread because you're hungry. So I'll give you what you don't already have. And the principle about that wilderness experience is you don't need anything else. And, and so we got to get to that place where we rest and we understand what that looks like. So here's some of those people that I just referenced. Moses wandered in the wilderness... During the latter years of his life, the nation of Israel wandered 40 years in the wilderness. Isaac and Jacob not only wandered there, but they lived there. Elijah the prophet wandered in the wilderness for three years, famine and drought. Wandered in the wilderness. John the Baptist lived many years in the wilderness. Paul wrote and spent much time in the wilderness. So, so I say all that to say, when you're in there, don't panic. Because what the enemy is going to do is he's going to come after your identity. He's going to try to tell you you're less than. He's going to tell you you're in there because you screwed up. He's going to tell you you're in there because you're no good. He's going to do whatever he can. Ask that question in the very beginning. The enemy could take something that God meant for good and manipulate it and twist it in such a way that it makes it look like that he's twisting that thing on you. Then he's going to do it. But your identity is secure. And so you have to be in that place and you have to say, I have what I need. I don't need anything else. It's not easy to do it. But it is a place where if we're not mindful and we're not aware of it, spiritual warfare will increase and intensify. It was in this place, in the wilderness, where spiritual warfare increased and intensified. 
40 days fasting, and then here he comes. So it's in the wilderness where it intensifies. So we better learn some things before we go into the wilderness. And one of them has got to be the identity. Because if I got invited in there by God, then he must know I can handle it when I'm in there. And I, know, I better know who I am in the Lord. So number three is this. In the wilderness, engagement, not escape, is your best option. When you're in the wilderness, not if, but when you're in the wilderness, engagement, not escape, is your best option. So the enemy came to Jesus and he engaged him. He interacted with the enemy. He did not go looking for the enemy. We've talked about this. I've said it at least four or five times. You do not need to go looking for the enemy. You know who goes looking for fights is bullies. Bullies go looking for fights. We're not bullies. We're believers. We don't need to go looking for a fight. The enemy will bring the fight to you. So when we're in the wilderness and the fight comes to us, the bully comes to us, then engagement and not escape is the best option. And, and in all three of these cases, Jesus didn't put his fingers in his ears and say, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. He didn't do that. He didn't put his hands over his ears and shake his head like I'm not listening. Every single time the enemy said something, he engaged the enemy. So when that time does come, So we're in the wilderness because of God's invitation, because God is going to do something in the wilderness to teach me that I already have what I need, but then he's going to resource me with more. But in that place, the enemy is going to come. So I better not be trying to escape it. Too many people trying to escape the wilderness. I don't like it in the wilderness. It's dry. There's nothing green. There's nothing growing. It's lonely. There's snakes and there's scorpions and all this kind of stuff. So Matthew 4, 3, and 4, we read it already, but I'll read it again. During that time... What time? When he was in the wilderness. The devil came in and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus said, no. And I bet he said it pretty firmly. I bet he didn't say it wishy-washy. I'd love to hear the baritone or whatever voice he used to say it. The scriptures say, immediately, goes back to the word. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what was feeding and nourishing Jesus at that time, think about this for a minute, was what he already had. It's important that we understand that. Satan was tempting Jesus for something that would satisfy and desire, would fulfill a desire, but Jesus' strategy was to remind himself that he had to feed on what had already been provided for him. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So so when we're in the wilderness, we need to feed on what we already know. When When you have something in front of you that you already know, it will motivate you and inspire you. I wonder what I wonder what things Jesus recalled. I wonder what things Jesus recalled when he was saying, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that is inspired or that proceeds from the mouth of God. I wonder what he was thinking about. Was he thinking about Exodus? Was he thinking about Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi? Who was he thinking about? What was he thinking about? He was thinking about something that he had already learned. There's something about having something in front of you that motivates you and inspires you to push on. I, I took a picture today of my Garmin. It's this fascinating little tool that my son gave to me for Father's Day. And when he gave it to me, I thought, eh, I guess it's okay. Had this little tiny computer thing on my, on my bicycle that would tell me a few things about how far I rode. And, and he said to me, he said, Dad, you got to get this Garmin. I, you got to get, ah. And, and so he gets me this Garmin for Father's Day. We got that picture? So here's my Garmin right here. So every time I get on a bike ride, I put this thing on my bike and I reset it and then I go on my bike ride. Here's why I'm telling you this. The bike rides that we usually go on are bike rides where we push ourselves pretty hard. So Monday was a beautiful day, was it not? It was a beautiful day, so I decided I was going to take a half a bank day. So I decided I was going to take Monday afternoon off and I met up with my buddy, Roger. We like to ride bikes together. 
And I set my Garmin on zeros, and we took off on our bike. And here we go, and we rode our bikes for three hours and 36 minutes. And we went 47.1 miles, and we climbed 3,682 feet. Here's why I'm telling you that. I have this thing in my pocket, and here's the reason that I'm telling you this. I can't tell you how many times when I'm lagging behind these guys that I ride bikes with, and believe me, I know the back of their jerseys real well. I said to my friend two weeks ago, I won't tell you which friend it was, but I said to my friend two weeks ago, please throw those shorts away or wear something over those shorts. He has had those shorts for too long, and uh, they are not G-rated anymore. They have been washed and dried way too many times. So I said to him, will you please throw those shorts away or do something different with those shorts? But I know the back of these jerseys because I'm always the guy in the rear. I'm always the guy that's coming up. But, he, but here's the amazing thing. I'll sometimes look down at that thing, and it's just it's a silly little device. But, but I, I get inspired by this silly little device that says to me, oh, I want to go 45 miles. I want to go 50 miles. I want to go 60 miles. Whatever it is, I want to climb this many feet. I want to ride for this long. But I got this silly, and it's a silly, it's helpful, and I appreciate having it. And my son told me yesterday, Dad, since you've had that, you've ridden this many miles, and this is the fast. I don't even know how to do it. This is the fastest speed you've gone, and it tells me all of this stuff, but, but it motivates me and inspires me when I get ready to hit the wall. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When you get ready to hit the wall, when you get ready to hit the wall in the wilderness, it's this thing that has to inspire you. It's this book that has to inspire you, and you have to go back and you have to recall and you have to say, I don't need something right now to satisfy me. I don't need another hamburger. I don't need another piece of manna. I need to recall what I already have. And, and that's, a, that's a revelation that needs to come to us, and it, it's part of how we engage the enemy. Oftentimes we won't engage the enemy when we're in the wilderness because we think we're waiting for something that we don't already have. That is not how Jesus taught it. I don't need your bread. Man's not living by that, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So when you're in the wilderness... And when you're getting ready to hit the wall and you can't get over that next hump and you can't make it over that next hill, you recall the faithfulness of God in His Word and you quicken by the power of the Holy Spirit something that will remind you how to make it through and you engage the enemy. You don't shrink back. That is not when you shrink back. You engage the enemy and you say, listen, buddy, and, and you do and you get in his face. Now, I don't mean that I don't mean that ignorantly, and I don't mean that presumptuously. You're not the bully that went to pick the fight. He came after you. He came after Jesus, and Jesus gave it back to him, gave him the business. When you're engaged in spiritual warfare, give the enemy the business when he gets in your face. And that's how you do it. You engage him and not try to escape. It is a ploy of the enemy, I believe, to get us to run when we're in the wilderness. It's too hard. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm sick of this. I'm not dealing with that anymore. I'm not putting up with that anymore. That's nonsense. That's not fair. That's not right. You're 100% right, but you're 100% wrong if you exit out of that wilderness too quickly. If he invited you in, then he's the only one that can tell you when it's time to come out. Would you agree with that? If he invites you in to the wilderness, so... Who's going to try to get you through it quicker? Who's going to try to rush you through it? Who's going to lie to you in the middle of the wilderness so that you try to get out of it? Jesus didn't do that. Every single time that the enemy tempted him, until the wilderness experience was over, he engaged the enemy every time. He didn't do it two out of three times. He did it three out of three times. So, so there's a principle of saying, until it's over, it's not over. But the enemy wants you to try to take the side exit. And that's why we have to stay engaged with the enemy. At the end of the ride, I can look at that thing, and it informs me of that experience. Now I know what I did on Monday. I rode 47 miles and climbed da-da-da, da-da-da, and this many hours, and it informs me. When, 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 we, when we 
when we stay connected to God and his word, then when the wilderness experience comes and we walk through it, we're informed by that experience. And every other experience after that, we're informed by that experience. And informed means then we become empowered by it. And so I'm not going to be a casualty of the enemy. So engage and not escape. I think it's important to know before I give you point number four that we cannot equate the wilderness with God's absence or disapproval. Be careful with that. You, you cannot equate a wilderness experience with God's absence or his disapproval. He had just approved of Jesus. This is my son. I'm well pleased in him. And, and, and the enemy would want us to buy into the fact that God doesn't approve of me. He's absent. He clearly doesn't care about me. If he cared about me, he wouldn't have me down here going through all of that. It's not true. But the enemy would like to make it true. Number four. You ready? Say, I'm ready. Number four. The wilderness will test your convictions and your confidence. The wilderness will test your convictions and your confidence. Every single time the enemy came, what did Jesus base his answer on? His convictions. His convictions. Every single time. Man does not live by bread alone. Every single time it was based on his convictions. Your confidence grows as your convictions are established and vice versa. As your convictions are established, your confidence grows. They work hand in hand. They're, they're partners. Here's what Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 through 19 say. I am the Lord, and this is the exilic prophet Isaiah. Children of Israel are in bondage to the Babylonians. I mean, so horrific is the bondage that they're eating their own children. God lovers... God followers are eating their own children. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all of its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives were snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. So God's rehearsing what he did to the enemies of Israel when he drowned them in the Red Sea. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives were snuffed out like a smoldering candlewick. But forget it. Forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. And I've already begun. Do you not see it? There's the challenge. Don't you see it? Don't you see it? That's what Isaiah is saying. Don't you see it? You've got to see it. In the wilderness, you've got to see it. You've got to see it when you're in the wilderness. That's what he's saying. Don't you see it? Forget what I've already done. That's nothing. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something new. I've already begun. Do you not see it? So there's that faith projection. We're thinking about the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I'm reminding myself of what God has done in the past. God, you delivered me. God, you got me up that mountain. God, you rescued me. God, you saved me. And, and so I'm recalling where I've already been. I will make a pathway. Now notice what he says here. Very important word. Through the wilderness. Not around it. Not around it. I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. So forget what's happened. I'm doing a new thing. Don't you see it? Don't you get it? It's nothing compared to what I'm doing before. And he already gives us the heads up. I'm going to make a way, but here's what you need to know. It's going right through the wilderness. That's where it's going. So, we, before we're in the wilderness, we have to say, this is going to be good for me whenever it comes. Whenever this comes, it is going to be good for me. Because when you're in it, it's hard to say that, isn't it? When you're in the wilderness, it's hard to say this feels good. It feels anything but good. wrote this down on my outline. Surviving the wilderness requires more than a skill set. It requires a psychology, a mindset, a will to live that overcomes fear and the stress associated with a crisis. Let me say that again. 
Because remember, God is making a pathway through the wilderness. Surviving the wilderness requires more than a skill set. It requires a psychology, a mindset, a will to live that overcomes fear and the stress associated with a crisis. That's what it takes when we're in the wilderness. It takes that, that ability to say, I've got to have a psychology that says, I was invited into this, that God loves me, that he's not neglecting me, that he's not forgetting about me, that my identity is not in question, that I don't need to panic, that I don't need to look for this, the escape hatch. I need to engage the enemy. I need to know God is with me because everything that God says about the wilderness, the enemy's going to counter. The enemy's going to say, why are you putting up with that? Why are you putting up with that nonsense? You don't need to put up with that. You're not being treated right. You don't need to put up with that. And he's going to do everything he can to try to get you to get out of the wilderness before the time is up. And I think that's why Jesus went through what he went through. To show us that it's not done until God says that it's done. I came across this quote just earlier today. By Dallas Willard. Here's what it says. You can live opposite of what you profess, but you cannot live opposite of what you believe. Invariably, what you believe is revealed by what you do. Let me say that again. You cannot live opposite of what you can live opposite of what you profess, but you can't live opposite of what you believe. Invariably, what you believe is revealed by what you do. So the proof is in the pudding. We can say it, and we can say it, and we can say it, and we can say it. And we can live opposite of it. I have faith. I believe God. I trust. I'll go wherever he wants me to go. But you can't live opposite of what you believe. You just can't. Eventually it comes out. You cannot live opposite of what you believe. Because invariably what you believe is revealed by what you do. And so I have to look in the mirror to say, how am I doing when the wilderness comes? Because although the wilderness is of God, it's a place of great exploitation of the enemy. Just like the difference, the train tracks of the trials that God brings to develop perseverance and the temptations that the enemy brings to destroy our lives. They're two sides of a track. And the enemy wants us to get to jump to the wrong side of the track. And he does with the wilderness. I'll just get him to take whatever, the fast way out or whatever it is. And so it's in the wilderness where your convictions are going to be tested. Your confidence is going to be tested. And it'll probably be tested like it's never been tested before. You shouldn't be surprised. Why shouldn't we be surprised? Because God said he's going to send out the invitations. I hope I don't have one coming anytime soon, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm ready for a little break. How many of you are ready for a little break from the wilderness? Uh, yeah. But there might be one in the mail. It might be coming. But if it's coming, it's going to test my convictions and my confidence. Last point, number five. I'll finish with this. The wilderness is the place of exploration and proving, leading to self-discovery. The wilderness is a place of exploration. We get there because we've never been there before. I've never been here before. I've never walked through this before. So it's a place of exploration, but it's a place of proving. We, we do that. Every new season we step into, there's a proving. Can we handle it? Can we handle it? Can we handle the pressures? We do that strategically with our children. With our children, we strategically put them in a place where they're going to be tested and they're going to be proved in a good way and in a healthy way where they can learn to be responsible and they can learn to be good decision makers and all of those kinds of things. So we do that with our children. So the wilderness is a place of exploration and proving, but it leads to self-discovery. It tells us so much about ourselves. The wilderness tells us so much about ourselves because we get there and we think, I don't necessarily have the blueprint for it, so what am I going to have to rely on? What I already have. It's exactly what Jesus did. He relied on what he already had. 
He didn't call from something from heaven. He didn't call 10,000 angels from heaven and say, hey, snuff this guy out. Get him out of here. He didn't do any of that. He just relied on, the, on what he had during that situation in that circumstance. In the sovereignty of God, it was enough. And I don't know when the deposit comes. I don't know if the deposit comes as we're closing the door out of the wilderness experience or if the deposit comes right in the middle of it, but we just don't know it until we need it. Isn't that just like God? He's going to put something in that we're going to need later, and He's not going to tell us. He's just going to do that. Sometimes I, uh, sometimes I pack things for my family. Just put things. Did that for my sons for years. Just like to sneak something in the lunch bucket, you know, and just pack it in there, and they didn't know it was coming. And go to school or whatever, or whatever they're doing. And there's something that they didn't know was in there. And I think the Lord is probably like that in a lot of ways. You know, we're just going through something and, and uh, God's trying to teach us about uh, exploring and proving and self-discovery. And all of a sudden, uh, we come out of it with something we didn't have when we went in it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Uh, this is kind of Moses' commencement speech. You know, with a commencement speech, you're speaking to those that are graduating. So you're standing up there, and I, I remember a few years ago being in New York for a West Point graduation, and President Obama was the keynote speaker, and, and he's addressing all of the West Point graduates. And uh, I'm listening to this, and I'm just fascinated with the, with the whole experience. And what was more fascinating, the most fascinating thing to me, was not the person giving the keynote but what all of the cadets had gone through. What they had all gone through, and now they're at that place where the commencement speech is that speech that inspires them and motivates them and tells them who they are and what they are and gives them that charge. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 8. They've, they've gone through the wilderness now in the commencement speech. And, and Moses is saying, you must obey all the commandments that I give you today. If you do, you're going to you will not only live, you will multiply and you will go in and take over all the promised land to your father that was promised to your fathers by the Lord. Do you remember how the Lord, listen to this, do you remember how the Lord led you through the wilderness? Do you remember? Do you remember how the Lord led you through the wilderness? All those 40 years humbling you Here's the self-discovery, humbling you, testing you, finding out how you would respond and whether you would really obey Him or not. So that wilderness place for the children of Israel, that wilderness place for Jesus, that wilderness place for us is a place of exploration. We're seeing things we've never seen before. We're experiencing things we've never experienced before. It's proving us. Why? Because it's testing us. Just like it says here, do you remember? He led you through, humbling you, testing you, seeing how you'd respond. Would you really obey Him? So I want us to remember when we're talking about spiritual warfare that it's not just the sulfur smoke. It's not just the demon. It's not just the sword swinging. It's not just taking up the shield of faith. All of those things are invaluable. All of those things are important. Every, all of that, sword of the Spirit, Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. All of those things are important, but there's more to it. It's multifaceted. And the enemy is going to look for the thing that God wants to use to develop and grow and mature you, and he's going to come right alongside, make it look like it's just like God, and then he's going to try to bump you out. This is not fair. It's not right, and he's going to bump you out. Wish I could tell you how many people I know that have bailed too early. Just bailed too early. I'm not doing it. I don't deserve it. I shouldn't have to put up with this nonsense. You're probably right. You're probably right. You're probably right. But I didn't give you the invitation. God gave it to you. And until he says the party's over, the party's not over. Right? Isn't that true? I mean, we see it everywhere, woven through the Scripture. So, John and Shelley, will you just come back up and just play a little bit of background music? And I think... 
this is true of the wilderness. And let me just remind you of this in case you may find yourself in the wilderness right now. It's a vulnerable place when you're in the wilderness. You need people that love you, telling you maybe what you need to hear but don't want to hear. It's a place where we're easily discouraged. Easily discouraged. Maybe you're not an easily discouraged person, but you find yourself in the wilderness maybe easily discouraged. It's also a place where uh, the enemy tries to deceive us. But Jesus allowed us to see what he experienced in the wilderness. There was something, there was something in the sovereignty of God that said, the wisdom of the Godhead said, my people need to know what to do in the wilderness and how to respond in the wilderness. And Jesus showed us this perfect model of how to respond. Accept the invitation and go into it. Trust what you already have. Know that you're not being abandoned. Know that God loves you. Know that you're meant to engage when you're in that place. And you're meant to show what you're made out of. You have what it takes. You have what it takes to make it through that. You don't have to try to escape. It's going to be a place where God's going to do something remarkable with your confidence. He's a good God. We don't always understand what we're going through, and it's difficult. And I understand it's difficult. I, I'm not speaking as someone that has this all figured out. Not one of us that has this all figured out. But we're walking it out, and we're walking it out together. And when we're mindful and paying attention to what God's doing, the overreaching truth is this, that He loves you so much that He's going to let you experience the wilderness. Because He's got things for you in the wilderness that you're not going to get anywhere else. There, there's resources in the wilderness. There's things in the wilderness that can't be found anywhere else. They can't be found anywhere else. There's treasures in the wilderness that are not going to be found anywhere else. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.